Hey, Better Days family. Welcome to Better Days Podcast, the summer session. I'm so glad that you are here. Make sure to check out the weekly practice at the end of this episode. For more content from Better Days, check out our website, betterdaysfmly.co. If you'd like to support this podcast and the work we are doing around mental health and suffering, click the donate page on our website. I'm with my friend, Casey Short, and today we're gonna have a discussion about shame. Let me take a moment to introduce Casey. She's amazing. Casey is a clinical psychologist. She's officially Dr. Casey Short. She also has a master's in theology, which means if you've heard another episode that we've done together, she's an expert on humans and God, which is a rare combination. So we are excited to have her be a part of this discussion today on shame. Casey, welcome to Better Days Podcast. Thank you so much, Wesley. And I'm so excited to be back. Uh, You were too kind with your words in describing me. And I will say that it is an honor to continually learn more about the nature of being human and learn more about the nature of God and to get to kind of intertwine those two things. Like that is just where I find my home. So it is really cool to share this space with the Better Days Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes, and that's where I find my home as well, being human and following Jesus and Mm -hmm. how those intersect. You know, too often, this has nothing to do with shame, but too often we have looked at psychology and theology as enemies, Mm -hmm. uh, as though they can't coexist. They're not on the same team. But what's interesting is you you can share more about this, Psychology essentially is the study originally of the human soul Mm -hmm. and the human condition. Mm -hmm. Uh, Comes from a Greek term that means soul. And so uh, studying human condition, studying our soul is a facet of theology that we need to enter into more and more, especially in a broken and fragile world. Uh, If you have anything to say about that, I'd love to hear your thoughts of integrating the two. I don't think I could have said it better myself, Wesley. That's, I think that is my passion as a follower of Jesus and as a wife and as a friend and as a community member. I want to do my best to steward this knowledge of what I'm learning about what it means to be human so that we can understand ourselves, other people, and God more fully. Uh, and hopefully by gaining more of an understanding and a lived experience, we can live from a wholehearted place. Um, and Love that. that's, that's really my place. yeah wholehearted place that, that is my passion, um, experiencing the love of God, uh, as a human being and being able to share the love of God with others as a human being. And I think integrating psychology and theology, it helps us to do that. So true. That's why we do better days podcast. We want so to help good. people be whole and Mm -hmm. wholehearted Mm -hmm. because the human condition is complex. It's hard to navigate. It's challenging internally and externally. It's hard. Speaking of that, yes, it's so hard. Speaking of that, I'd like to talk about shame Mm. because we were talking a few minutes ago before we pressed record of how influential shame is in our lives as humans. Mm -hmm. So I would love from a psychologist perspective and a theologian, <laughs> I would love for you to share 
What is shame? Give us a basic definition and explanation of shame. Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to go straight to Brene Brown. Um, and if you're interested in shame, I'd suggest reading more of her work because that is really where she's devoted a large part of her lifetime of research. And she describes shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And it's, it's an emotion that affects us profoundly to believe that I am not enough. I am unworthy. I am flawed. I am bad. Um, that painful emotion that comes up with those thoughts is actually associated with higher levels of depression, anxiety, aggression, suicidality, eating disorders, relational distress, um, and many other things. And so we know that shame is not only painful, it doesn't just hurt. Uh, the research shows that it actually does hurt humans across the board. It's not good for us. That definition, explanation um, is very helpful because the consequences of this state, this, this emotion and state of shame in our life can have profound negative effects on us, including a lot of mental health conditions. Shame is intertwined, interwoven within that reality. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. One psychologist I was reading said that shame is a threat to our identity. I really like that because shame attacks us as a person and the very core of who we are, it begins to attack us. And like you said, there's shame talk that, that basically we begin to think of ourselves as bad, flawed, defective, unlovable, um, and you know other kind of self negative self-talk that goes on inside of our soul. And so this is a big deal. Anything that attacks our identity is something that we want to understand and also understand how to navigate. What's interesting about uh, Brene Brown's definition, so good, uh, is that it's essentially that, you know, like your identity is being shaped by your thoughts and by your emotional state. Um, and shame can shape our identity. Um based on, you know, shameful thoughts or the feeling of shame internally. So this is a really, really important thing to have a conversation around. The Bible also talks a lot about shame. And shame and guilt are intertwined in the Bible. The primary meaning of the Hebrew uh, idea of shame is to fall into disgrace. And normally that's around human failure. Um and so there's this sense of our actions and our choices can create guilt and shame. And so in the Bible, shame is used as a feeling of guilt for having done wrong, which is something that we discuss on another podcast, Guilt. So if you haven't listened to Casey and I's podcast on guilt, definitely give it a listen this week. And let me give you an example. There's an interesting few verses at the beginning of human history in the book of Genesis, where we see the first mention of shame. What's interesting to me is that the first mention of shame happened before human failure, or we would say human sin, deviation from God's design and direction or will for our lives as humans. So in Genesis 2.25, the Bible says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
the idea behind that was that the first two humans created in God's image were living in perfect harmony with God's creation and God's design for them as humans. There was no walls. There was no guilt. There was no barriers. They were in perfect harmony with one another and with God. There was no shame. And then the next chapter over, Genesis 3, verse 7, the Bible mentions shame for the second time. The first pre-sin, pre-walking away from God's design, everything's in perfect symmetry and harmony with God and God's intention. Then Genesis 3, this is post-sin. This is after Adam and Eve decided to do what God said not to do. And here's what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What's interesting about those two pictures is both of them bring up this idea of shame and nakedness. And this metaphor of uncovering is interesting because shame essentially exposes our nakedness. We are seen, right? We feel like we've been seen and exposed, imperfect. We've done wrong. And so often what we do when we feel shame, and these stories just kind of illustrate and elucidate what humans have done since this point in history, is we hide. We cover. We try not to expose our nakedness, so to speak. We try not to expose our imperfections. We try to put a front on, a covering on where people can't actually see us. So we begin to hide like they did in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And I think what's interesting about these two pictures of human shame is one, there's no shame, everything's in harmony with God. And two, there is shame. We've done something contrary to God's nature and design for us as humans. These two pictures, particularly Genesis 3-7, picture the devastating effects of living contrary to God's design to the very core of our being. So there's a psychological and emotional and spiritual consequences that flow out of this guilt or this wrongdoing. And I love how Genesis 3 ends. Human beings are hiding, covering, trying to evade God. And God enters into that story of shame and guilt. And he speaks into it. He draws them out. And then he provides a covering for them, which is just beautiful. So the moral of the story there in Genesis 3, post-humans walking away from God's design, is that Hiding from our shame will only increase our shame. God wants to draw us out, and he wants to speak into that feeling or state of shame. So I, th- I, I thought bringing that up is really helpful, not just for sake of definition, but also kind of an explanation, an illustration of the early reality of shame at the beginning of human history. And we don't want to live in that state of shame. Psalm 44, 16 says, I, I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame. We don't want to hide from our shame, increasing our shame. We want it to come out of hiding 
and to be exposed before God and to allow God to draw us out and to speak into that. So that would be my definition, illustration, explanation for shame theologically. Any thoughts around that? I I love it. Um, I was sitting and reflecting as you were sharing your theological perspective, and I I couldn't agree more. Um, And what came to mind for me is, I think it's so beautiful when the research just highlights God's truth. Like God's truth is true because it's always been true. And yet us as humans, we do all of this research and we discover things. And I think it's amazing when we discover what God has already said was true. Um, And so you had mentioned, like when we look at that passage in Genesis, that it is really the, the secrecy and the hiding and the running away that increases shame and ultimately hurts Adam and Eve. Um, and what the research shows us is that actually it is secrecy and silence that are like mm. the Petri dish for shame. Like it's where shame grows in the secrets in the silence and the hiding and the isolation. Um, because if we think about the two messages of shame, like you're not good enough, you're broken. Um, and we can all think of a moment when, when did I think to myself, I wasn't good enough, or I couldn't do it, or I'm going to be rejected and then feel that painful experience of shame. I'm guessing all of us have memories of times where we felt like we became smaller or we hid, or we didn't ask for help, or we weren't vulnerable with someone else. Um, and so it, I think in our personal experiences, we can probably think back to secrecy and silence as feeding the shame in our lives. In the Bible, we see secrecy, silence, and hiding as feeding shame. And in the research, secrecy and silence feed shame. Um, so what a beautiful thing to have like experience, research, theology, all kind of converging on this truth. And that's how it is with truth. Truth converges Mm -hmm. with truth. And I love that. Thank you for bringing Mm -hmm. that up. And by the way, if you are sitting down right now and you're near your phone or a notebook, write down those two words. Secrecy and silence are like a Petri dish. That's what you said, right? For shame. And Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of wisdom there on how not to approach this human experience of shame. And speaking of not feeling good enough, Uh, not feeling accepted, kind of being an outcast. I remember when I was in grade school, I grew up in a broken home. By the time I was in eighth grade, I had four dads. Two of them went to prison. And so you can fill in the blank blank there a little bit. Uh, There was a lot of trauma and hardship and pain growing up. And I remember being in grade school trying to figure out how to navigate that. Well, I wanted to be known and liked like every human. Mm. So one year I thought, you know, one of the ways to be known and liked is the clothes we wear. Like the clothes we wear communicate something and establish something relationally in an environment. And so I went to JCPenney with my mom. And there were all of these matching Nike outfits. So you had the t-shirt, like Michael Jordan, and you had the shorts, Jordan, and then you had like Nike, you know, uh, across the t-shirt and Nike on the shorts. So I bought all of these Mm -hmm. matching Nike outfits. So black and blue and, you know, gray, 
yellow, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are back yeah, now. They're cool again, right? So <laughs> they on the are. first day of school, what is cool now, I was hoping was cool back then. On the first day of grade school, I quickly learned from the response of my classmates that my Nike outfits were a bit too small and a bit too tight. I didn't size it right. Oh, no. So that entire year, mm. those were my clothes. We were poor. We didn't have a lot of money. That entire year, mm. I got made fun of a lot around yeah. these Nike outfits that I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be known and accepted and people are going to think I have cool outfits. But I remember, I remember feeling so much shame. I felt mm. like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't accepted. I wasn't, you know, a part of the cool group um, that had the right size of clothes. People literally made fun of me that whole year. And that sat with me. That was like embedded in me. And the next year, I realized I needed to do something to be accepted. I needed to do something Mm -hmm. to be like. So that's where I became really, really good at sports. I was... You know, out of my brokenness, I was searching for a way not to be shamed, but to feel loved and accepted and embraced. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a lot of my story uh, around just achievement and, you know, doing really well in certain things in my life, uh, succeeding. It was rooted in this brokenness that came Mm -hmm. out of my family and wanting to be accepted in relationship to whatever people, whatever circle um, that Mm -hmm. I was in at that time in life. And so that's my story. Uh, Shame has definitely been Mm -hmm. a part of my story. Uh, It's something that is fragile that we don't like to talk about, but it's really good that we, it's really good part of me when we do, because a lot of people can relate. Casey, I'd love to hear, Mm -hmm. do you have any, any relationship to shame in your journey? Absolutely. And I, and I want to say thank you for sharing your story, Wesley. I can imagine that's incredibly relatable for anybody listening. Because um, I think it's, we all have different experiences of shame, but shame itself is a human experience and we can connect on our humanity. Um, so I think for me, like uh, I resonated with what you had said about you started really performing in sports and that new piece of the identity you were just grabbing onto almost became like a shield for shame. And I think that's one of the ways that initially we cope with shame. It's so painful and hard, this message that like, I'm not good enough, I'm broken. And that feeling that comes with that message that we find these, these ways to build armor, to protect us against shame. And we have all these shame shields. And I think for me, my shame shield was perfectionism. I thought like, if I can be perfect, if I can like be the perfect friend, if I can be the perfect student, if I can be the perfect athlete... I can check off every box and then double check that I checked off every single box, then maybe this will make me lovable. Maybe this will make me worthy because the thought of not being worthy of love or being rejected or feeling rejected was just too painful. Um, and so I think back on like the story that comes to mind for me was actually one of my first times where I was practicing, like taking that shame shield down. And it was so hard for me. I was uh, 17 years old and sharing my story with a youth group. 
And I wasn't in the youth group. I'd actually come back. I was in college and I was interning. And so I was talking about identity and um, embracing your identity and like some of the insecurities that I'd worked through in my relationship with Jesus. But in order to do this, I'm telling my story in front of this group of like 300 kids. And in the moment, I felt a little nervous, but I prayed about it and I felt comfortable with the boundaries I was taking down for the sake of like showing the work of Jesus in my life. But right afterwards, right after I had taken that shame shield down, I'd taken off that shield of perfectionism to show people like my process, the messiness, the pain I'd been through, the fears that I'd processed. I had like a vulnerability hangover. (laughs) And I remember thinking like I walked off the stage and like just like explicit after explicit went through my head. And so for the sake of the podcast, I'll just say, I said, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> like, can I rewind? Can I take it back? Um, because right after I'd been vulnerable and taken down my shame shield, I felt fear and all of those old feelings of you're not good enough. You just shared the pieces of yourself that you were afraid that might be rejected. You shared the pieces that you're not sure are lovable, the pieces that aren't perfect, the pieces that are messy. What will people think? What will your mentors think? What will these kids think? Will you be rejected or accepted? Um, And I had all of these emotions of fear that came up with that. And like God and God's goodness and God's kindness towards me in that moment, like literally within three minutes of me starting to kind of feel the shame spiral come over me um, because I'd taken my shame shield down. Um, I had a friend come up to me and it's like, she just knew exactly what I was experiencing. And she looked at me and she was like, Casey, you, you spoke truth and love and you spoke the love of God in your story straight to the hearts of other people. And I believe that like, that was you acting in faithfulness. But right now I also have the, uh, I have the impression that you're probably starting to second guess yourself and feel worried about the vulnerability that you just practiced. And she took that moment to tell me that like I was loved, I was worthy of love, that my vulnerability had given other people the freedom to be vulnerable. um, And that it is actually through my pain that God is giving me the greater capacity for compassion. So in the vulnerability was freedom, was more compassion, was more connection with that friend, but also the people who I was speaking to. Um, And that friend coming in and reminding me of truth, helping me to keep my shame shield down by providing me with something that was more important, love. The love for who I was and not who I was trying to be or who I thought I should be. Uh, Her love showed me I didn't need the shame shield anymore. I could be accepted for who I was. Um, and so that's that's probably the most tangible experience of me uh, working through shame almost by surprise. Because when I was sharing my story, I thought like, I've got this. I'm ready to be vulnerable. And then I was totally surprised um, by how afraid I was right after I'd shared my story. So I thank goodness for beautiful friendships and for God's faithfulness in providing those people to give us the love that we need to to actually overcome shame. Casey, thank you for sharing that story. And every communicator can relate to vulnerability hangovers where you feel like you're supposed to share some things and say Uh, some things. And then afterwards, you begin to doubt yourself. Should I have shared that? Did I share too much? But vulnerability is where humans connect. Mm -hmm. So when we share things about ourselves, we don't realize Mm -hmm. the power and the influence that 
other stories are connecting with our story and other people's experience in that moment uh, is helped. Uh, it becomes advantageous, our vulnerability to help people navigate their own reality. And so I just love that you shared that story. Mm-hmm. And it it gives us another picture and angle towards the reality of shame that we experience. It could be in a moment of communication where we are unearthing uh, we are opening ourselves up and sharing things we don't often share in public settings. And uh, it can be really healthy and life-giving for other people. So never be afraid, if you're listening to this, to open up yourself to other people. Because in that moment of you opening up, you might give a person hope that, that they need in that moment. So love that story. So Mm -hmm. grateful for it. Here's my final thought and question. I imagine because shame is so influential and entangles into our mind and Mm -hmm. soul in different ways that it's hard to process. So how do we process shame in a healthy manner? Oh, that's such a good question and such a hard question. So Maybe uh, I will start with the overarching blanket of we begin the process, we dive into the process, and we end the process from a place of self-compassion, um, of knowing that like each of us are loved by God. And because our identity is those who are beloved, we can talk to ourselves as ones who are loved. We can think towards ourselves as ones who are loved because that is our identity. Because this shame work is hard. Um, and so I think just starting off from a place of love, self-compassion, knowing who we are is absolutely essential. Um, and then from that place, um, there's actually been some research done on how to process and work through shame. And uh, the research is actually by Brene Brown. It's in her lab. They did it for years and years and years. And it's called shame resilience theory. The idea of like, how do we bounce back from shame? How do we grow through shame? Um, and she breaks it down into really four steps. And the four steps are, uh, when you're feeling shame, being able to recognize the personal vulnerability that led to the feelings of shame. Um, so in my story, particularly right after I'd finished sharing my whole, uh, background in my childhood, the pain I'd been through, um, my personal vulnerability was I've shared my imperfections. My imperfections are my personal vulnerability. Those are my shame triggers. That's the opportunity for someone to say, nope, she's not good enough. Or why is she speaking? She has no right to be talking here. Or she's broken. And for me, that, that was, that was my personal vulnerability. I was open to rejection. For each of us, that's going to be a little bit different, but really identifying like what, what's our vulnerability? What is the shame trigger? Um, the next piece is to recognizing the external factors that led to the feelings of shame. Um, so that might be um, what I've learned about shame in the past, um, the rules of life I've lived by that make me good enough, my conditions of worth. It could be the current environment I'm in. Maybe it's that someone is actually trying to shame me. Maybe it's someone saying really harsh things about me and they're not true, but it's bringing up this feeling of shame. So what are the external factors? Uh, The next one is 
And this is the one that I love. It is connecting with others in order to be able to receive and experience empathy. Um, and I, I want to take a moment to ask each of us to think about a time where you felt ashamed and you shared that with someone else and you felt comforted. Think about a time where you felt ashamed and all of a sudden in the context of community, you felt that shame melt away. What caused it to melt away? Most of us, I think the answer would be, I shared a fear with someone. I shared a worry. I shared my story. I shared my deepest pain. And the person told me I was loved. The person normalized it. They validated my emotions. They listened to me. They embraced me for who I was in that moment. So I didn't feel like I needed to put up a shield of perfectionism anymore. Um, so the connecting with others is huge. It gives us the opportunity to have somebody else say, no, you can take the shame away. You're loved. That's not true. You're enough. You're worthy. I'm here for you. And then the fourth is disgusting and deconstructing the feelings of shame themselves. And this is the ongoing piece. This is the big piece. Sometimes shame is attached to pain that we've been, ex we experience in our past. Sometimes it's attached to early childhood experiences or family dynamics. Sometimes it's attached to trauma. Um, and so when we're discussing and deconstructing all of the emotions and thoughts that are tied to our shame, our feelings of unworthiness, um, that can happen in friendships. It could happen at church. It could happen in our relationship with God. But also, I think often it happens in therapy, ongoing for months, for years. That's the work that we do for the rest of our lives, deconstructing shame, abolishing shame in our lives and in the life of others. Um, I've been doing it for a long time now, and it still pops up. <laughs> I love that you brought up how shame can be rooted in trauma, mm -hmm. family of origin. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's so important. Uh, early childhood trauma, you know, those types of experiences can really shape our view of our identity. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up and the deconstruction is really important. And then having some reconstruction is important as well. Absolutely. Because if if our identity has been assaulted by trauma, by family of origin, by early childhood trauma, we need to reconstruct our identity. Mm. And so maybe a few thoughts to add to that would be because shame in and of itself is an assault to who you are and your identity, don't hide your identity when you're experiencing shame. Mm -hmm. In other words, shame, shame can suffocate our identity. And we need to make sure that we are actively resisting the uh, reality of shame dominating who we are. And we need to speak a healthy identity into our mind, into our soul, uh, into our life, knowing that, you know, God created us in his image. We have intrinsic value and worth. Mm. We have purpose. We have uniqueness. We have beauty. There's so much about our identity that we need to start to speak into ourselves and then begin to live out. So don't hide your identity. And don't hide your shame. This goes back to the Genesis story and what you said uh, about hiding. Um, 
share those two words again, silence. And secrecy. And secrecy. So don't hide your shame. Don't hide it in silence and secrecy because if you do, it could be all consuming. Share your shame with God. God loves you. God will speak worth and value to your identity. Share your shame with people. Maybe maybe part of that deconstruction and reconstruction for you means that therapy will be life-giving, will be reconstructing your view of yourself. There are amazing therapists like Casey who would love to sit down with you, process through the roots and your story of shame and help undo and bring healing to some of that assault in your life so that you can be a whole, thriving, healthy human again. And so Mm. I think don't hide your identity, don't hide your shame. And I think one other thing that is really important that I can think about is when we speak shame inside of us, you know, in that inner dialogue, self-talk, we often label ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? I am unworthy. I am not good enough. I am not loved. I am bad. So on and so forth. So be aware of labeling yourself as a result of shame. We have to learn to speak truth. Uh, These negative labels can shape us, but so can truth. The truth of how God sees us, the truth of how we are designed can shape us in a healthy manner and help us to process shame in a healthy way as well. So I'd love to hear one thought about that from you. Maybe you have a couple of thoughts about labeling Mm -hmm. ourselves, because I think that's a core part of our response to shame that is incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm really glad that you brought it up, Leslie. So when I think about labeling ourselves, what comes to mind for me is the ways that we talk to ourselves. And it's crazy because we actually talk to ourselves thousands of times per day. Like research shows that it's somewhere between two and 3,000 times per day. That's how much we talk to ourselves. And so if my voice towards myself is harsh, if it is shame-based, if it is that inner critic, that bully that's saying, Casey, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't deserve to speak on podcast. Like, who do you think you are offering counseling and therapy to other people? You don't have it together. You made three mistakes yesterday. Or you felt insecure two seconds ago. If if that is my narrative in my mind all day long, you can imagine how those thoughts are going to impact the emotions that I feel. And if I'm thinking, if my self-talk, if my uh, narrative towards myself is so harsh and critical and um, honestly kind of mean, mean towards myself, then I'm going to be feeling deep sadness. I'm going to be feeling the shame. I might even be feeling helpless or hopeless um, or like stuck. Like I can't do anything. Why even try? And so it makes sense when we connect our thoughts and our emotions that then the actions that might happen, that pattern that we see might be, okay, well, if I feel helpless, I think I can't do anything, then the action I'm probably going to choose is, okay, I just need to hide. Like, I'm just going to stay at home today, or I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to go after that job promotion. I'm not going to talk to a friend. I'm going to shut down because the self-talk that comes with shame and the emotions that come with shame, they really shut us down. At the very least, they stifle us, make us smaller versions of ourselves. But at the worst, I think they actually shackle us, make us feel imprisoned. Um, and so our self-talk is it's so powerful. And that's why I couldn't agree with you more that a part of working through shame of coping with it is uh, looking at the thoughts that are associated with shame, that inner critic, that harsh voice, and actually um, abolishing it with the truth of who we are in Jesus. Um, and I think there's like two ways that we can do that. One way is we can look at what God says about us, what Jesus says about us, and really start focusing our mind or changing the channel of our brains on what Jesus says about us, on those who are fearfully and wonderfully made, on those who are beloved, um, on those who God says that he'll never leave or forsake, um, who says like we're covered with grace, that we're children of God. And we could go on and on about all of these beautiful things that a God who calls himself love says over every human being. Um, but also, I think sometimes we have to experience truth, not just think it in our minds, but like live it and feel it in our bodies. So that idea of change is new understandings and new experiences in a relational home. Um, and I think we can experience that truth by communing with God and asking God to help us to feel more loved, asking God uh, a to help us understand and experience our identity as ones that are loved by God by actually experiencing uh, who God is to us. But we can also do that with the community of God, experiencing truth by the ways that others love us when we practice vulnerability with them. And connection and vulnerability in safe spaces is one of the other things that just abolish, abolishes shame because it allows us to experience truth from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and then the third way would be if it's ongoing and it's something we're truly deconstructing and kind of dismantling in our life, then yeah, therapy is a great place to deconstruct and dismantle um, big systems of belief that have been interwoven for a long time. Casey, thank you for adding all of those thoughts and explanations. I just thought this is such an important reality associated with shame to dive into and talk through a little more. I want to end on two thoughts. First, as a Jesus follower, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that Jesus experienced the shame of the cross in order to free us from shame. And I think this is beautiful. Jesus' death on the cross dealt with shame. In order so you and I who live in this fragile, broken world, experiencing these emotions and thoughts and realities, maybe somebody shamed us. Maybe we're just struggling with this you know, pattern of shame internally. Jesus wanted to deal with shame and set us free from shame. And whatever somebody has said about your identity, whatever you have said in your inner self-talk about your identity, God says exactly what Casey said. You are loved. You are forgiven. You will never be condemned. You are my children. And so shame was dealt with on the cross. Your identity is something that God is unraveling and shaping and transforming. And that's a beautiful thing. And in that process of developing and cultivating and transforming your identity, 
You are always loved. You are always forgiven. You will never be condemned. And you are always God's child. So I want to encourage you with that today. And I want to end on it with a tip. This is a practice for this week. We're ending every summer session podcast with a tip that can become a practice. So here it is. When you begin to feel shame this week, become aware, evaluate, think through your inner dialogue. Is there negative self-talk where you're labeling yourself? So be aware of that. But secondly, speak truth into your identity. Affirm God's love for you, the value of you as a human being creating the image and likeness of God, your intrinsic worth because God created you, and the fact that God orients himself toward you in love. I think this is so important. Be aware of the labels, the inner critic, the negative self-talk, and affirm God's view of you. That is your identity. So be encouraged. What a great conversation, Casey. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think you're going to be a favorite (laughs) on Better Days Podcast for sure. What a great conversation. I learned a ton. So I'm really thankful for all the truths and perspectives and angles of knowledge that you brought into this conversation. And I want to let everybody in the Better Days family know that no matter what you're feeling or experiencing or going through, it is hard. You are human, but never forget hope. There are better days ahead. Much love. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for your help in spreading the word about Better Days podcast to bring hope and help to people walking through the hard moments of life. You can find more resources at betterdaysfmly.co. Join us for another episode next week. There are better days ahead.